I'm Phil Rickaby, and I've been a writer and performer for almost 30 years. But I've realized that I don't really know as much as I should about the theater scene outside of my particular Toronto bubble. Now, I'm on a quest to learn as much as I can about the theater scene across Canada. So join me as I talk with mainstream theater creators you may have heard of, and indie artists you really should know, as we find out just what it takes to be stage-worthy. If you value the work that I do on Stageworthy, please consider leaving a donation either as a one-time thing or on a recurring monthly basis. Stageworthy is created entirely by me, and I give it to you free of charge with no advertising or other sponsored messages. Your continuing support helps me to cover the cost of producing and distributing the show. Just four people donating $5 a month would help me cover the cost of podcast hosting alone. Help me continue to bring you this podcast. You can find a link to donate in the show notes, which you can find in your podcast app or at the website at stageworthy.ca. Now, on to the show. Kylie Thompson is a dance artist and photographer based in Toronto. Her full-length dance production, Femillennial, is part of the 2023 Orlando Fringe. She joined me to talk about her dance journey, how she balances art and entrepreneurship, her inspiration for creating Femillennial, and much more. Here's our conversation. All right. So, one of the things I, I will I will be upfront. Um, I don't I don't talk to a lot of dancers. Yeah. Um, and that's not I figured as much. That's not because I don't like dancers. That's that's just. It, it's it's more I've spoken I've spoken to a few dancers over the seven years of this podcast. Obviously, they they outnum they are outnumbered by the theater artists. Part of the issue is that as a, as an actor, there's to me there's like there's and maybe it's just in my in my mind there's a, a bit of a separation between theater and dance. Although sometimes they come together in these amazing moments. Um, so I'll be upfront about that, but. Um, as far as uh, as dance goes, um, what is it that draws you to dance? What is it that drew you to dance as as a choreographer and a dancer? Mm. You know, that question is something that isn't even necessarily like on my radar because it's just been a part of my life for so long. Um, my parents put me in dance. There's no unique story about my upbringing in dance. You know, I started at three years old. I went to a studio. I did it very full-time growing up. I competed in dance. Um, and then I went to university, not for dance, but then came back to dance, um, kind of in a nutshell. But I think what draws me to dance um, in general, okay, the main thing that draws me to it uh, within my own practice and and like where I find myself in spaces in rehearsals and performance is that I continue to learn 
what I believe to be very like valuable, just general life information and information about people through dance in, I think, an exceptionally interesting way. So whether it be through contact improvisation or whether it be through just navigating choreography with other people or navigating my own choreographic process, wow, my own choreographic process with dancers, it just teaches me so much about myself um, in the process uh, and, and, and the people that I work with. That's the thing. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, if I can come up with a fun example of what I mean by those type, those like aha moments, I'll, I'll let you know, but sure. I definitely know I've had a lot of them. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I love, I love theater in general or being in the theater, being in the theater. I can't say I've been to a lot of plays. I've been to a decent number of musicals. I've been to obviously a lot of dance theater. Um, and I love, I love the feeling of it. I love, I love live dance. I'm also into dance film. Um, yeah, the physicality, the, the athleticism combined with the artistry and the drama and the expressionism. I would say about sums it up. Hmm. Now you mentioned that your, your, your parents sort of put you in dance when you were, I think you said three. Um, was there any particular reason why they, they, they thought this child needs dance or was it just like they, it was a great opportunity to have you move? That sounds like a question. Um, maybe I sh should perhaps ask my dad again one of these days. It's not something we've chatted about recently. Like I, I definitely haven't frequently heard the story of like, oh, she was a rambunctious kid or she was always twirling around. So we put her in dance. Um, I would imagine that was somewhat the case and um you know i come from a bit of a musical background in my family not dance but um my grandparents on my mom's side and my mom were both musicians like band musicians my mom played the clarinet <laughs> um my grandma played the piano um but yeah i honestly i don't know what that moment was it wasn't there wasn't like a friend of a family that was in dance so they put me in it was just they found this local studio. I grew up in Barrie. The studio was called Keeping Time, School of Dance. <laughs> um, and yeah, there we were. But at some point, you, you know, a lot of people go into dance when they're young. And at some point, often during the teenage years, they give it up. And a lot of people don't come back to it. Just like a lot right. of people, they do some theater when they're, in high school and they they like it but they're like that's no way to make a living and then they they give it up but yeah um for other people there's something that clicks and it becomes the thing that they want to do do you remember what moment was for you that where you were like this is what i'm going to do yeah um i could say you know from a young age i would say there's like two kind of key moments at a young age i, I have it documented that i wrote down that i wanted to be a teacher like when I was eight like I looked up to my dance teachers and I wanted to own my own studio and that's when I wrote down that I would be when I grew up um and then I definitely had another moment in university so I was studying kinesiology um I was probably in my graduating year I had made one of my still to this day best friends um her name's Amy 
Um, and we met through extracurricular dance at university. And in that, those programs, I, I just, they, they were beyond what I could have ever expected from extracurricular activity in university. So I learned so much in that university dance world. And there was one night when we were out at a club, you know, drinking, like we were just out one night in the, in probably fourth year university. And Amy looked at me just like on the dance floor and she was like, like, you want to pursue dance, right? And in that moment, I was like, yeah. And it was felt like I was like admitting it to myself, you know, right? Yeah. I, I, I hadn't really said it out loud or like decided that at that point because I was still in school and you know, I was still in kinesiology and yeah. still up in the air about it. But yeah, I remember that moment pretty clearly. We were at a club in Waterloo randomly. <laughs> Um, well, obviously, I mean, sometimes you have to say something out loud to make it like true, right? You know, it's yeah. like somewhere deep and you don't even realize it's there until you, until you say the words, like yeah. you want to be a dancer or you're going to pursue dance. And up until that point, you're like, kinesiology, that's the thing I'm going to do. And then, and then the truth just sort of comes out and you're like, oh, that's the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At a certain point, you can't ignore the, the signal from the signs and the, energy that the universe is giving you and i had met all these great people in university and opportunities were presenting themselves not necessarily you know work opportunities right away but like meeting people in toronto i was living in hamilton for school and so right. people from toronto would often come because we were so close and that's kind of you know where the dance hub in canada um is was was is um it's just at the time anyways um so there was a lot going on in toronto there still is obviously but from a living in hamilton perspective right so all these people were coming and i was learning and training and i was like i want more of this like i'm not done with this you know um where would you say the dance is there a dance hub in canada right now or is it just really spread out i i would honestly say that vancouver seems to be a strong kind of pull right now i'm sure a lot of people would argue that and, and it kind of depends you know if you're talking about commercial dance or in or if you're talking about contemporary theater dance um you know kind of two different things and there's a lot of contemporary theater going on in montreal in particular um but there's more commercial work going on in vancouver because of its proximity to la but then there's also a quite a decent amount of theater stuff going on in vancouver too now, again, that being said, there is a lot going on in Toronto, but I know a lot of dancers who have moved out of Toronto hmm. to Vancouver hmm. um, recently. Um, so, yeah, I would hmm. say it's kind of that's kind of the place to be right now. Interesting. Interesting. Because I probably would have guessed Montreal, but yeah, the Vancouver thing makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, OK, tell me about Femillennial. OK. Okay, good job. You pronounced it correctly. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. So, Femillennial is a hour-long contemporary dance theater piece for three women. I began working on it back in 2019. It was originally titled, Oh Yes, I created a piece for five dancers for the Dance Made in Canada Festival. And after that festival happened, I knew I wanted to continue with the work develop it into a full-length evening work um, and then you know shortly after that six months later is when the pandemic hit so throughout the pandemic 
you know, we researched, we worked on some things. We had some cast changes. The work became a trio. Um, and then I really ramped up and really kind of took it in a strong direction in the direction of Femillennial when I got into the 2022 Toronto Fringe Festival. Um, and so, yeah, it's an abstract work. It's a non-narrative work. There's no story per se. The characters are played. The dancers play themselves. Um, their names are Dana, Claire, and Kira. They are wonderful human beings. Um, all very physical movers, but all with such unique personalities. And you could say that the work is um, a study on that personality, identity, um, the idea of a femillennial. So, you know, that being a portmanteau of feminist and millennial, which is something that I identify as. Um, and I'm just interested in the idea of that, that idea of an involved feminist, um, a different kind of feminist. Like, what does it mean to be a feminist in this day and age? And also, um, yeah, just generally speaking, kind of one's identity, um, that the idea of intersectionality, which has been very popular in, you know, pop culture in the last few years. Um, and as I say, it's an abstract work. So all of these themes, you know, also women's roles in society, women's roles in the workforce, are things that we've talked about a lot, uh, women as icons or women as role models, whether it be our own personal family members or whether it be women in the media or in the just world in general. Um, all of that became material that I was interested in and curious about. And so from there, you know, movement ideas come out. And um, one thing that stuck very clearly from the original inception of the piece that was called Oh Yes is the use of a button-up shirt as not only a costume, but also a prop. Um, so it's a very strong line within the piece. Um, this uh, shirt that the dancers take on and off and do choreography with. Um, yeah, I would say that is it in a nutshell. <laughs> um, so you mentioned that you were that you performed this as part of the the 2022 uh, Fringe Festival in Toronto. Yeah. Um, what was I mean? That was the first in person Fringe in three years or whatever, like through the pandemic. So. What was what was getting back in front of an audience like? What was it like presenting this in front of people again? Um, it was great. I loved the theater that we were in, which is the Aki Studios Theater. It was a new space that I'd never worked in. I'd seen other shows in there, but it has a really nice intimacy about it. Um, great for dance, great for a small dance piece because you know, again, that intimate, the, the first row of chairs is right on the floor with the dancers. Um, but honestly, I wouldn't say that I felt, huh. I, I kept my practice up in many different ways during the pandemic. Uh, producing theater isn't something that I've done a ton of 
in general. So if there are any new feelings of, of you know, anxiousness or, or that just because it's generally new to me, like if not because post-pandemic, I mean, I've choreographed dances for stage pretty much for like 20 years now, but to actually, you know, basically produce your own show and a full length show of like, you know, professional caliber with professional dancers, that's obviously different. Um, so yeah, I had a great experience at the 2022 Fringe. Um, you know, we sold a good amount of tickets. Audiences were lovely. We, um, yeah, we part, we were, we were right in there. We went to, you know, events or, and networked and met some really great people. And I love the Fringe Festival. I also participated in 2016 with another company that I had. So it wasn't my first rodeo, but it definitely felt different than the first time, I would say. Oh, I the, would imagine so. Yeah. 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 The festival itself, I feel like also really grew and expanded and became more robust and more thorough everything being online the communication was sharp and clear like clear and yeah that was great great experience great now what's happening with uh, femillennial this summer so in just over two weeks we are traveling to the orlando fringe festival um which open we open may 19th and then in vancouver we'll travel to the vancouver fringe so that opens september 7th that's it. That's, that's a good, <laughs> that's a good, that's a good long time between the two. Um, for a lot of people, there are two fringes that tend to kick off their tours, Orlando or Montreal, but a lot of people will do both Orlando and then do Montreal and then work their way across. Um, Orlando is, 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 is quite well known in the fringe circuit for being a good starter. Um, really? Okay. Didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I haven't been, but I've heard good things about it from people who, who go regularly. So, uh, should be a, a good fringe. Um, are you excited about taking this, this show, this dance show outside of, of Canada? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I've danced in the States a little bit. Uh, I've danced overseas a little bit. I love to travel in general. I've traveled with group sort of before i guess not groups that i've led but i've traveled with other groups like to dance um, and i love that energy everyone is just there's so much growth that happens in a short period of time um you know you're you're just on like you're you're networking and you're reaching out and especially with the fringe you have to do your own marketing so it just forces you to get out there and and make those connections. And um, yeah, I mean, there is there is quite a robust like dance scene in Orlando, which, you know, I wouldn't I definitely don't think of it as like, oh, that's the hub of dance in, in the States. We've got, you know, L.A. and New York, just as same as the rest of the entertainment industry. Um, but I'm very excited to make some make some new connections. And I've already been in contact with lots of people and um I mean, there's some interesting stuff going on politically in Florida right now. So I'm curious to see, like, if that will be tangible, like when we're down there. I don't even really know the ins and outs of it. I'm not big into, like, political news and uh, especially when it comes to 
the U.S., which is not something that's huge on my radar. Maybe it will become so one day, but I'll be curious to see if there if there's any like feeling of that while we're down there. It's interesting. Oh, always interesting to see what the feel of a different place is. Um, I always yeah. found when I went when I was touring fringe festivals, it's interesting to sort of like land in a new place and try to get your bearings, both like not just physically, but also like what are they like here? Mm-hmm. Like every because every place you can be a hit in one town and then go to another place and they're just not interested in what you've got. So right. it, it's like every time you start, it's like you it you feel like it's a sprint and then but it turns out over over a tour it's actually a marathon because every time you start you start a new fringe you're starting over right yeah yeah totally one thing i'm curious about actually is um as as far as as your personal style goes as far as like choreography what does a kylie thompson piece feel like look like are there particular things that are are your hallmarks as far as dance and choreography go? Yeah, I would say so. I I love physicality. Um, I practice floor work. I practice rolling and tumbling and cartwheeling and inverting. And we also practice pretty physical partnering. And so, you know, in the dance world, you could you refer to it as kind of like not so typical. In the ballet world, it's called pas de deux, right? And it's always the man lifting the woman in a classical ballet. Always. Not in our work. The women are lifting the other women and anyone can lift anyone if you have the right physics going on. Um, and so in that regard, it looks, it, it definitely is outside of the classical box. Um, the line, you know, the turn, the leap. It is it definitely like rotates and expands and jumps off the floor and leaps and then leaps and rolls. Um but the if someone is used to watching classical ballet, it's going to look very different. Now, am I do I consider myself super unique in the current contemporary dance scene? No, not necessarily. Like I, I'm not, I'm not reinventing the wheel necessarily with what I'm doing. Um, but that's what I like. That's what I like to watch. So I've made it my purpose to, yeah, like I've gone and trained in New York with, um, teachers and, and gone over and trained in Europe. And, you know, you, one might argue that I guess Europe is the real like, hub of contemporary dance. Um, they seem to be just always a little bit ahead of kind of where we're at and what our audiences are after, um, arguably. But um, yeah, and it's it's a little bit funky. Like it's, I also have a big like love for hip hop and um, house dance, and I've trained in whacking and sort of this whole kind of opposite end from ballet, which is what I grew up doing. So, um, you know, for a while we were calling it contemporary fusion, but that terminology has sort of gone by the wayside a little bit more because you would argue that, well, contemporary work already is a fusion, right? Of things. It's, it's terminology is, is a funny thing, but, um, yeah, 
I would say, yeah, I would say that that's how I would describe my move. Did you grow, did you sort of like grow out of ballet? As you mentioned, sort of like being, Definitely. sort of like starting in ballet. What was it that moved yes, you out I of it? I broke up, I broke up with ballet when I <laughs> kind of um, turned 20 or like when I hit university, I just found so much other things in dance that I wanted to. That's where I really fell in love with hip hop was in university. I pretty much focused on that for a couple of years. Then I started, then contemporary dance started to kind of come into the mainstream a bit more. So I was like, okay, what's this? Started taking classes in that. Um, yeah. And then it took me a while to realize, like I knew I wasn't training in ballet and I, and I wasn't missing it. And I was like, what is, like, what, what's going on there? Because I did so much as a kid. And, and I think that that's exactly why i think i just kind of like ran it into the ground i was over it hence why i started rolling around on the floor because i grew up only dancing on my feet i grew up never improvising i grew up only learning like set work and learning other people's choreographies so i had this hunger to like let go of that and learn how to freestyle and learn how to improvise um Oh, yeah, definitely took a nice hiatus from ballet. And now I find myself craving it and missing it again, which is nice. Um, I don't necessarily train in it, but I do my own pseudo ballet practice sometimes. Is there something about it that, that you particularly miss when you do miss it? Is there something about the movement, something about uh, the music? What is it that you miss about it when you miss it? Um. Okay, yes, I, I would say I miss the music, but I often practice ballet movement to non-classical music because I prefer hip-hop music, for example. Um, the movement is very, it, it has you really working on externally, like rotating your body in a general sense, opening, extending, lengthening, which feels very nice. Like, I definitely missed that. and And... Yeah, felt like that was a little bit missing in my general practice. And also the work in terms of balance. It's such a good practice for your balance and your coordination. Um, so I'd say those are the main things that I was missing, like from a super kind of nerdy, just movement <laughs> perspective point of view. But yeah. Yeah. Now, I know that that I mean, you've, you've mentioned about how um, the, the merging of theater and dance. Um, as far as what you've seen about those two coming together, aside from like musical theater, which is like the, when you think about dance and theater, that's where my mind immediately goes is like dance and musical theater. But um, as far as like indie theater and movement and dance, what kind of things are you seeing in, 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 in the world uh, in Toronto that, that really excites you? Okay, well, lots of, like I was mentioning before, this like contemporary pas de deux or just like partnering is what it is. Um, lifting, throwing people. You start to see technique, other movement technique creeping into dance. So wrestling, um, acrobatic, like hand-to-hand, -hand, like cheerleading, um, lift, right? basket tossing like there's so many unique ways that people are throwing each other around on stage it's incredible uh <laughs> and not just at the professional level either like in youth dance as well 
Um, so we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of kind of stripped down, hair down, really like visceral feeling, primitive feeling movement. Um, we are seeing a lot of site specific dance happening, a lot of uh, audience participation dance, immersive dance. I don't know if you've ever heard of Sleep No More. This is like the kingpin. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. This is immersive dance theater. Um, yeah. A lot of just parallels between what what is dance and what is just a pedestrian human being. A lot of gestural stuff. This is Crystal Pite influence. She's from Vancouver. She's massive in the global contemporary dance scene. Her work is extremely gestural and it's almost miming. You know what I mean? It's it's very storytelling, but it's it's so intricate. Whereas a mime will take their time to like kind of really make you understand the story. The way that a dancer might gesture might be incredibly quick and and like almost animalistic. And you won't necessarily understand the story that they're telling, but you'll recognize the isms. You'll 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 see them you know, I don't know, do like a very human gesture. And so it, it's much more, I guess, abstract than miming might be. Um, yeah, I would say those are mm. things that mm. I've seen that I like that I, that's, that's, go- that are going on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to call back to something you mentioned earlier about, about producing at the fringe. And part of that is having to do your own promotion. Um, which is often the scariest thing that people end up doing uh, when they end up producing their own work. It's sometimes it's the one of the last things people consider and it's one of the most important, but it's the f- most frightening. Um, social media is, is one of the really effective ways to, to, to bring out an audience and the way that, that we all use social media is, is, is kind of different. I mean, I'm, I'm Gen X. And so I think I have a more distant, relationship with with social media than than uh, a millennial or a uh, or or gen z does definitely more than than gen z but uh it's still something that is is so necessary i think especially now to bring out an audience not just in fringe but otherwise um what is, for you what excites you about about promoting dance and promoting your projects in social media and what can you do with social media that you that you couldn't do otherwise well, you can, and this is why I like dance. This is one of the reasons why I like dance film as well, as you can see so much more detail. You can see so much more in terms of facial expression, emotion, um, in that regard. But then you can also see aspects of the dance from different angles that you wouldn't necessarily see it from sitting just in a row in a theater. Um, I think it's like blown wide open the idea of talking about dance, um, which is, I think, really important to do. And I think it kind of comes back to what I was saying before about like these lessons or these things about life that I learn while I'm practicing dance. Um, if we just, it, like it, dance gives us something to talk about, especially contemporary dance when the work is non 
narrative or when it or when it's narrative there's always things to talk about but you know for me i get very very curious watching abstract dance work i see an image or i see two people or three people or a group of people doing something physically but no one's telling me what it is that they're doing so i'm guessing in my head okay what are they doing um and then afterwards you know we talk about it and i think when it comes to social media um you're always gonna be seeing some dance not always but you'll often see some dance and then you'll have a caption and you'll get different information than you would just seeing that dance in the first place or um you know, there's a lot of behind the. I love, I love the behind the scenes, like social media trend. Right, everyone is showing, everyone is busting everything wide open. Really, like there's no, there seems to be no secrets anymore. Whether you're in the film world, in the, I really actually don't see much social media about theater. And I'm sure that's just my algorithm. <laughs> but right, like everyone's like, come behind the scenes with me at this rehearsal come behind the scenes with me for this video shoot i'm going to show you exactly how we did it because that's what people want to watch on social media that's i mean as a creator i guess i guess that's what i want to watch maybe i can't speak for everyone um but i want to see how it's done and people are very willing to share that information um i think so there's something sure. i think there's something about about that behind the scenes look that is not just for other creators but the things that we as creators, as performers do to our audience, because they never see behind the scenes, as far as they're concerned, it's just magic. Yeah. Like somebody waves their hands and suddenly there's dance, suddenly there's theater, some, suddenly there's singing. And all of the stuff and all of the pieces that, that, that go into it are fascinating in the same way that people love watching like. Uh, and they always have like the behind the scenes of of movies and what the special effects are, were done, all that sort of stuff. Everybody has always been fascinated by that stuff. True, and, and, yeah. And that that behind the curtain is like kind of the thing that we can give people through social media that they can't have otherwise because they can't peer into the into the rehearsal hall in any other way. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly that's exactly it. Um, yeah, I honestly can't. I mean, okay. I said to someone the other day, I said, if dance isn't peaking right now, <laughs> I'm going to be, I'll be shocked because the rate at which content and practices and techniques are being shared because of the internet and social media is everybody is just feeding off of everybody and learning things they would have never been able to learn from someone in another country to then elevate their practice and elevate their community. And so dance is just, like I say, the things that people are doing on stage these days, like the rate at which that's accelerated from, say, even like the 60s, 70s, 80s, and then, yeah, it, it blows my mind sometimes. Um, I, I just have to wonder, I'm like, there's, is there more? So like... Or are like is the form peaking right now? Because I really, I don't know. And I, I would honestly, I think I could make a solid argument that it is. I think, like I was saying before, we're starting to see more like theatricality kind of come back into dance. 
So it's almost like dance has bounced off this like super hyper physical wall and is now starting to come back to more classical theatrical techniques like miming. Um, there's a lot of voice work happening in contemporary dance, a lot of speaking. Um, so yes, it's interesting. I, I really have, I'm so curious to see where we're going to go from here, where we're going to be in five years. Do you think that that the the prolif the the prolifer- proliferation of 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 dances on TikTok uh, are sort of like sending or bringing more people into the dance fold? I remember just just a few months ago, everybody was doing the the dance from Matilda. Everybody was like learning the the dance from 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 the song Naughty, and everybody was doing that online and all that sort of stuff. There's all of these like the these people dancing who have maybe never had before. Um, yeah. is that adding to, to the, 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 the dance vocabulary, adding to the, 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 the peaking of dance, do you think? Yeah, I do. Um, I teach adult dance sometimes, like adult beginner dance. That world has exploded. So many adults take dance class, whereas growing up, I wouldn't have, I didn't know any any people that did that i mean again sometimes i'm like okay i'm referring to my childhood but maybe what do i know but i really feel strongly that the like adult beginner dance culture um or adult aspiring dancer culture like i've seen i've seen it all i've seen you know 50 year old people hit the stage like not in a professional way and their friends and family come to watch like it's not just little girls and tutus at six years old who are doing recitals anymore right um i think there's this there's an amateur field of dance um that has really expanded which in turn feeds it all like feeds upwards right because you can have these facilities that have these like base programs where people will come and pay to take class and like that's a business but then we can then take that those funds and feed it into like a company let's say to create professional dance um right like um it's all funny words but um yeah and then because of again because of tiktok dance is more accessible to a lot of people because now it gives people a reason to get up and dance in their home because what's motivating somebody to get up and dance at home alone, right? Well, now you can put a video of yourself dancing online, get some, get a nice dopamine hit from it. Shit. Like, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I do it too. And it is a way of sharing and communicating, I think. Um, but more people are dancing. Now it's it's cooler to dance now. It used to be crazy, and now it's cool. <laughs> nice, nice. Now, as as an artist and entrepreneur, um, how do you find the balance between the art and the business? Um, that is a great question. If the answer is I'm still figuring it out, that's also a valid answer. <laughs> Honestly, you know, I, I definitely think I'm still working towards a place of of balance and and harmony. I think we all are. I think if you're, you know, to achieve like a steady state of balance is like physically impossible. Um, 
So it's always a work in progress and I've embraced that back. Um, I lately, uh, let me, I've been working my butt off. Okay. Like I'm sure you have to, like we all are, if, if we live in the city of Toronto, like we are here and we are ready to grind. Like we've got things going on every day. Um, but yeah, I work, I work in, I do certain jobs I don't necessarily want to do to be able to fund my creative endeavors. Um, but I think I'm pretty lucky to have mostly found jobs that are still related to my field. Um, like I don't I don't have a Joe job per se. Everything that I'm doing currently is related to the field of art. Okay. So blessed. What I can't, <laughs> I, I can't complain about that. Um, and. Yeah, I really, it's, I think it just comes down to like taking care of yourself and being healthy and trying to be mindful. And it's just, I've also learned to treat my rehearsal time to, for my creation more sacredly. Not, it's just not another activity in the week. It's a, it is a special time and I've learned to treat it as such. Um, and take care of it a little bit more and nourish it a little bit more and really turn my focus on more sharply for those periods of time. Um, so yeah, I think it's just been learning how that flow happens and just being prepared. And, you know, you go through one rehearsal process and you learn from it and then you're better prepared for the next one. So. Do you find that you are, that you have tips or tricks for, um, being able to to drop one thing, so the business aspect, then focusing on the rehearsals so that it's not the other thing that you just left behind is not still at top of mind. Because I know that for a lot of us, um, when we're doing so many things, each one is sort of like occupying a, a bit of our brain. And then you get to rehearsal where you need to be like so focused on the thing that you're doing. You need some way that you can take those things that aren't helpful to the rehearsal and like sort of like take them off and put them on the table over there for a while. I think a lot of that has to do, yeah, with the, the clothes you wear and like how you bring yourself into certain scenarios and sort of the role you step into in, in those scenarios. For me, it has a lot to do with just like taking a pause, whether it's just like in my car briefly before I go in the studio and just being like okay like what energy do I want to bring through this door with me right now I think a lot of it has to do with you know how you start the day so I really try to treat that moment with a lot of care um but yeah it's hard as you say it, it is it is really hard to turn off certain parts of your brain um you know in terms of my like workflow and i'm doing some producing work right now and so i use things like the pomodoro technique not even not even like specifically but like i'll set a timer for 30 minutes and say like do not check social media like you must focus on this work for 30 minutes and then hard cut off or i try to stick to like some scheduling like that sometimes which i find work pretty well for me um 
Pomodoro is so helpful just to have like a timer that says, okay, you're going to work for 20 minutes and then you get a break. Yeah. Like that, you know, you get a break. And yeah. instead of like trying to be like, I'm just going to work, I'm just going to work, I'm just going to work, which your brain yeah. just gets tired. And then all of a sudden you find yourself, you're looking at your phone and you don't even remember when you picked it up. And it's such a helpful tool. And I, yeah. I recommend it to anybody. Just if, if you mm -hmm. have focused time to like, just use that technique, just to, to break it up and know that there's focus time and then there's a break and then there's focus time and there's a break. Absolutely. Yeah. hundred percent. It, it's something about that reward, that break yeah. at the end. Like, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now you are in addition to uh, being a, a choreographer, you're also a photographer. Um, tell me how that started for you and, and, and how that marries into your, your whole uh, artistic practice. Um, you said photographer. Yes. Correct? Yes. yes. That started for me um, in, I want to say, 2015, where I got my first like DSLR camera and said, all right, I want to like be a photographer. Um, because it's, it's, that's a tough one to explain something about capturing moments. Also, okay. What I, what I realized at one point with photography is it gave me a little bit of a quicker satisfaction in terms of producing something tangible, finished. But dance takes a long time. Dance takes forever. And then, and then you have two performances and it's over. Like, okay. I don't necessarily think about it that way. I think of every rehearsal as an opportunity to, to perform, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But in the grand scheme of things, dance is, um, takes a lot to produce because we're using our bodies as our, as our tools, et cetera. Whereas I can go out whenever I want. I don't even need another person. I can capture an image, work on it, and it's done. And I can share it with the world and feel good about it. Um, I think there's, there's something to that for me. Um, and then, yeah, it became a real parallel to my dance work. And a lot of dance artists need images and need yeah content of themselves dancing and moving it's a visual form right so i started to get a little bit of work in in photography because of the people and the connections i had in the dance world so you know that helped it along um, i love getting up early for like you know golden hour type lighting um, I like that photography forces me to do that because some of those quiet moments in the world are just some of the best. Like you're alone, you're in the streets, maybe you're in a different city and you get to experience an environment in a really like <sighs> just natural state where there's not other humans and pedestrians contaminating it. Um, <laughs> so I love, I love that aspect of photography. Um, yeah. 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 It's, it's funny. Cause you mentioned the, the immediacy of it. Years ago, I had the opportunity to work on a short film 
with a couple of, 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 they were directing it. They'd created this thing, but they were animators by trade. So they like, they, they, they were so excited to do something live action because Mm -hmm. it was, it would be, they would like shoot it and it would be like essentially done. And they didn't have to spend weeks and weeks and weeks drawing like one, one movement. And they were so excited by immediacy. It's funny how, how like a slight, a different artistic practice can suddenly bring out your, your artistic self in a way, as soon as you just change the discipline. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing. Really. I'm what I really want to do is find a way that they can come together like as purely as possible um like kind of getting there as i'm just like developing my skills on both sides but um yeah i think like i'm kind of already doing that like i'm kind of taking like some video stuff and like projecting it onto a screen while dancers dance in front like but is that necessarily like the most purest melding of the form like not necessarily but um yeah I think there's a lot of possibility there. And, and yeah, I just love capturing other people's movement because I love watching other people dance. So it just is kind of a bonus that some people are willing to pay me to do it. Uh, <laughs> so it's just a nice little bonus side hustle um, that also feels creative and yeah, creatively fulfilling. That's great. That's great. Well, Kylie, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This was a wonderful chat. Thanks for having me. This has been an episode of Stageworthy. Stageworthy is produced, hosted, and edited by Phil Rickaby. That's me. If you enjoyed this podcast and you listen on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can leave a five-star rating. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review. Those reviews and ratings help new people find the show. If you want to keep up with what's going on with Stageworthy and my other projects, you can subscribe to my newsletter by going to philrickaby.com slash subscribe. And remember, if you want to leave a tip, you'll find a link to the virtual tip jar in the show notes or on the website. You can find Stageworthy on Twitter and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the complete archive of all episodes at stageworthy.ca. If you want to find me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby. And as I mentioned, my website is philrickaby.com. See you next week for another episode of Stageworthy. Worthy.